Hey everybody, welcome to this Board Game Life episode number four. Star Trek Fleet Captains Hawaii and Castelli. Uh, my name is Rob and with me today I got my good buddy Jeff. Hello again. Hello, hello. You know, this is the uh, the podcast or netcast, whatever you want to call it, the show where we talk about uh, board games and uh, kind of anything that we want to. Because it's our show, I guess, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's my show, but you show up from okay. time to time. Yeah, I, I am the uh, I'm the paid staff, <laughs> or something like that. I guess that just makes me staff because <laughs> I'm not paid. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, another exciting show starting up here. Another exciting week. Uh, what have you been playing, Jeff? A couple of things. Star Trek Fleet Captains. This is one I'd mentioned back in episode one, and at the time I'd had a. An okay play of it, but I was excited to play it some more, and I did get to play it uh, at least, it was, I want to say two more times, uh, might have been three, and at the end of the day, I've I've decided to go ahead and part with it. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I maintain that high threshold, we'll call it an, an eight in BGG terms, if anything yeah. rates lower than that, I I just move on to the next thing, so... I, uh, I did come up with basically 10 things I like about it and 10 things I don't like about it. I can, I can think of a thing you don't like about it. It takes up space on your shelf. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I wonder if that could yeah. even be an extra true thing because it's an odd-shaped box. So and it's big. It's a really yeah, big it's, box. Yeah, it's big, but it doesn't conform to any other box size. So it, it, I actually made a special shelf just for it. I have sort of adjustable shelves on one of them, and I I had to put it by itself since I hadn't yet made a decision on it, if I was going to stack something on top of it, it would have crushed the box, and then you know, huh. then it's harder to sell. So, is I, there is there really that much stuff inside of it, or it needs that big of a box? There's a good amount of components. The ships are uh, oh, yeah. put in, you know, this this nice protective area that probably takes room. up. Yeah, it's it's almost two thirds of the box. It feels like anyway that just the ships take up. So I'll, I'll go through, I'll run through in no particular order the 10 things I didn't like about the game. Then I'll go to the 10 things I did. You know, another way to think about it is here's, you know, 10 reasons I just pissed off every Star Trek fan listening to the show. So <laughs> I'm a Star Trek fan, but you didn't upset me yet. 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 Well, I, you know, and again, I, I think I mentioned this on the first show. I like the Star Trek movies, especially. I watched uh, the original Star Trek. I've watched every episode of The Next Generation as a kid. Oh, yeah. The f- I really liked it at the time. Not to say I don't like it now, but I, I haven't really gone back and watched it. Right. I watched probably half of Deep Space Nine, and just about the time I think it went and got better uh, is is really when I quit. And I it's never a good, time, good yeah, time to quit. Yeah, well, I, I didn't know it was going to get better, right? Yeah. So, and then right. I just never really went back and watched it. And I've I've caught a couple episodes of Voyager and Enterprise, and yeah, those were decent. Yeah, they were all right. I was no. just kind of into other sci-fi stuff at the time. so Yeah. But in any case, so I didn't particularly enjoy the amount of dice rolling in the game, especially as a Federation. The missions you go on, since they're not combat-related generally, you're exploring a certain tile. It'll you know say, go out, find one of these, great, and roll the dice over a certain number. There's a lot of that that happens in the game. And even when you're not rolling for the boring missions like that there's really just rolling for everything whether it's combat 
you know, it's basically just roll higher than this number. Right. That isn't as interesting as some other game systems. Uh, so that was the, the first thing that I didn't care for. The second one sort of builds upon that. Because you're just rolling this check, that's really all that combat consists of. So you got to get higher than that certain number, and there's really not a lot of tactics to it, not a lot of decisions to be made around combat. Uh, there's no real maneuvering. You're basically just okay. going to where they're at and you know roll the dice high right over this number they roll great they've got you've got an attack they've got shields then uh, maybe there's a card you play but basically combat wasn't really as satisfying as it is in other uh star trek ish games like starfleet battles there's a lighter version of it um mm-hmm. you know federation commander a couple other games out there that just where the combat was more satisfying. So here you have a game where the combat's not really that satisfying, but yet the non-combat missions are basically just go to a hex and roll a number higher than this. So neither set of missions really are all that interesting. Third thing, and this has been said a lot, you'll appreciate this one, Rob, but the yeah. game the game board components are, are not really great for me. Yeah. And... So a lot of people defend this and say, well, yeah, for the price, they couldn't make these real thick tiles like Fantasy Flight does and so on and so forth. But here's the thing. The the, the models, and the models are quite nice for the ships. Right. They really just look stupid sitting on these little paper tiles that are, you know, and I'm not real anal about everything having to be perfectly aligned or anything like that. But yeah. Uh, you know, when I was halfway through the game, there half of them are twisted, you know, 30 degrees, and it just it looked like my cat jumped on the table and messed everything up. And of course, my cat hadn't jumped on the table, so uh, they just don't stay in place because there's no weight to them. They're just these lightweight little cards, these hexagonal tiles that you right. move, uh, you know, from one to the other. So, I, you know. It just doesn't have that great feel like playing Twilight Imperium does, where everything is, you know, of a good quality. Right. And, you know, then it's like they kind of drive that home with these two little cheapy dice, which are like the, the just, I don't think you could buy dice in a, at least I've never seen dice that were these, you know, the small slash cheaply made. So... I think I would have been less offended by that if they just put a note in there that said, okay, we know you have two dice, go get them and, you know, use those in the game. It's like, were they leftover dice from Quarriers? <laughs> you know, the Quarriers dice are nice compared to these. They're just, <laughs> just awful, awful little dice. Now, actually, the cards being thin didn't bother me so much. You know, the cards themselves were, they were nice enough. You know, the the layout was fine. You know, I think if you were going to play the game a lot, you would sleeve them. So I can argue for that. Right. Uh, the, the cards being thin didn't bug me, but the playing cards, I mean, you know, the, the actual tiles, right. which are card material and thin card material at that, that's the part that bothered me. See, I would have thought that they would have been, you know, chipboard or whatever it's called. You know, Yeah, even go with a, a light... Mil- like a millimeter or two thick, yeah. at least. Lightweight chipboard would be fine. I mean, the material that we were talking about for, you know, Aura at Labora or something like that even, you know, just where there's enough weight to it to just even sit still. They don't have to be necessarily TI3 quality. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, the other thing about the components was the token modifier mix bothered me a bit. They've got, you know, as you do play certain cards and things, you'll add values to different attributes, and finding the right one, they're kind of backprinted to one another, and it, there's not a really nice pattern to how that's done, and it, it seems like it would have been easier if they had just included a few more of them so that there was a logical, you know, the minus one is on one side, the minus, you know, but they didn't, so it can be a little bit of a chore to find the right one. Okay. But, you know, overall, not a huge negative, but it just, it would have added, I think, a little bit to the game if the components were better, right? Like any game. You know, they, oh, yeah. It doesn't have to be great, doesn't have to be stellar, but it's also, uh, you know, a $100 game, so. Yeah. The main thing, though, I think is really. This is the, you know, the case where I think maybe Tom Vassell is wrong, and he was one of the ones who had come out and said, okay, you don't have to be this big Star Trek fan to like the game, and I'm gonna say that I think you do, because as a as just a casual Star Trek fan, I'm not enjoying, I'm not finding, I'm not getting the so-called Easter eggs in the encounter deck and other places in the game, right? Okay. So, for instance, you know, the name of certain sector cards will be you know, that's considered thematic because that's the same, you know, whatever that nebula was, was the same one that Kirk hid from XYZ bad guy from, you know, in whatever episode. And I'm not going to pick up on that. So right. to me, it's, it's just another hex. And I think possibly, you know, if it were Star Wars themed instead, I could see where there might be some added enjoyment for me. So I, I'm not going to say, you know, there's, it's, it's, you know, that's why it would work for a, a big Star Trek fan, I think. So, because if it was, you know, I'm, I'm going to different planets that I recognize from the Star Wars universe, I, you know, I think that would add a lot for me. You know, here I'm fighting, you know, Boba Fett because somebody played that card, right? You know, a lot of these Klingon names I don't even really know. Or, you know, besides maybe the you know con or the ones you know from the movie. So, really, you know that didn't that didn't work as well as it could have for me, even as a casual Star Trek fan, right? Right. The fifth thing I didn't like about the game was, and you know this has been said elsewhere, but I think it really is true in this game that you just have to draw the right starting hexes and missions, and you know even. For for the Federation, it might even be more than that, where really you have to avoid the Klingons or hope that they get bad luck in the form of bad starting hexes and missions. And that dictates as much the success you're going to have in the game as much as anything else. So if the Klingons get some early bad luck and you get some early good luck in terms of starting hexes and missions, you're going to do really well. But if the reverse happens and you know you get you stumble a little bit and you draw the wrong mission cards and such. Yeah. It's probably not going to go your way. This the sixth thing for me is one I haven't really seen other people mention, but it was a maybe even one of the bigger problems for me is the way that the decks are done really doesn't interest me at all. And so I concede that it's sort of a different way of approaching things. So what happens is there's, and I'm not going to recall the right number, but I think it's maybe six or eight. Eight sounds about right. Yeah, because you pick about half of them. 
So there's eight decks that the uh, Klingons pick from and eight that the Federation pick from. And so each deck is a different composition of the three categories of, of crew and, uh, you know, this sort of ops category and then combat. And what I, what I didn't really like is it wasn't clear enough, even after, even on my, you know, third game that this deck is really aimed at this and that deck's aimed at that. It really comes down to there's a, chart you can download off the geek or something that kind of says, well, this is the composition of this one and it's sort of this way, but it wasn't, you know, it was kind of like this compromise where, okay, it's not a collectible game where you go and you choose all your cards and build your deck ahead of time, which I think actually might have worked better here uh, because you kind of have to know the, the cards anyway, right? And it at the same time, it wasn't this deck builder type mechanic, say, that Mage Knight had or something like that where you build it as you go along or maybe there's some correlation to the ships that you drew just at the end of the day it wasn't it was just another unsatisfying sort of mechanic where you know great i picked these four decks but you know what is that i wasn't one game to the next i didn't really see progression in okay i did poorly i think it's because i had this deck in there and next time i want this one you know, maybe that would come in ten plays, but it didn't. It didn't feel like something that was worth waiting for. Okay. The next thing is the clicks themselves. Have you seen these hero clicks before? You mean the fleet captain ones? A- any of the or... clicks, kind of. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's so for any listeners that don't know, there's so this little dial on the bottom that you can kind of turn, and with Star Trek fleet captains. It basically changes the, you know, the shield level and the movement that you have, uh, the combat value and your sensors. So those four things. And ultimately, for me, it was another sort of unsatisfying mechanic because, uh, well, not the least of which, some of them are hard to turn, but it just felt kind of gimmicky because, and and again, and having played so many of these games, there's been a lot where you know star trek started that right where you know shields full and then therefore you know something else degrades right but i really thought this would have worked better if you just had some some sliders or some dials on on a board uh you know in in the olden days it was done with markers that you just moved up and down the tracks right or you know maybe boxes you checked off somewhere but the the clicks part what happens is there's certain pre-prescribed values combinations and and you're really restricted within those and that would be neat again if it really felt like there was a lot of strategy or some neat mechanic behind that but it it really just feels artificial and gimmicky and on top of that is the fact that you get one free adjustment so more or less there's just a lot of times where uh it doesn't play out as as an interesting decision. It's kind of obvious. Okay, I'm I need to move a lot, so I've I've got it you know set to movement. Okay, I plan to to fight, and I'm kind of where I need to be. The only time maybe where there's some dilemma is okay, is he going to attack me? I better put more towards defense. But even then, you're really just choosing between maybe two settings that have minor differences. So okay. uh, it just it didn't come together for me as as unique as I thought 
that was going to be. I thought that this was going to really be this revolutionary mechanic, and it it just kind of was, you know, fell flat for me. So that kind of leads into the eighth point, which is simply based on a lot of what I've mentioned. There really is no strategy or tactics that I could find after even after you know the third game. And what I'm looking for in a game, if I if I play once and especially when I lose, I'm looking to say, okay, what what can I do better the next time? What can I do differently? And everything I come up with is, okay, I can draw better cards. I can, <laughs> right? I can, uh, they can draw worse starting tiles or the, the way my cards come out can be different or, you know, the, the ship combination that I, that I randomly drew could, could end up differently or that encounter card. Uh, you know, oddly enough, there's actually the fact that if I draw more encounters, most encounters give you uh, a victory point if you complete them. So to some extent, if I draw more of those, I'm more likely to have extra victory than if I, you know, rolled to where I never drew any of them. Uh, and yeah, there's some negative ones and with some possible bad effects, but it sort of in general, it just seemed that way. And so ultimately, it's a game you play for the experience, not really for the strategy, not for the tactics, not, you know, it's it's really about all theme, all experience. And again, that's great if you're just this diehard Star Trek fan, but not so much if you're just kind of a casual fan. So in my opinion, okay, probably a weak point number nine, but. It really is about the hundred dollars. It's a hundred dollar game, seventy bucks even online, and it's just not a hundred dollars good. So if if this game had had less ship models and better quality tiles, that would have been better for me. I don't need twelve Federation ships that are you know pretty much you know <laughs> kind of do look the same. I know that's a common non Star Trek fan criticism, but you know, a lot of the ships look the same. A lot of the Klingon ships look the same. Again, for the casual fan that I am, I wouldn't mind having one model stand in for another. Uh, you know, instead of 12 per side, I could probably have gotten away with six per side, and and had that money put into the the tiles instead, or you know, something right. to that effect. Yeah. That that would have been better for me, and you know, might have helped a little bit. But at a hundred bucks, and you know, it's it's not this beautiful beautiful game outside of the models and it's mostly about the experience not so much you know the strategy of it that's kind of an issue and you know the last one is really the randomness you know and i've touched on that in some of the other points but it's it's just odd in some cases and you know again i had a, a game where not very many encounter rolls were even rolled. And encounter cards are where a lot of the theme comes from. You know, that's where it has that little story with that link to an episode. And if you, you know, happen to get a lot of sector tiles where the chances of encounters are low and, or you just roll to where you don't have the encounter, then there's far less theme in the game. And if there's far less theme in the game, then there's, there's less of interest. Combat's an overly simplistic system. There's some randomness to that. The ship drafting, that's random, what, what ships I draw. Both players in uh, at least one of the games were close to winning, and ultimately I think it came down to which had the right mission cards at the right time, not who played better. I've drawn two mission cards where neither one was possible. 
this particular all you know we'd actually revealed all the sectors and this particular one didn't even exist out there and uh, then I had another one and I, I forget the reason but I couldn't complete that one either and you can only pitch one per turn and even even that said if if the opponent draws three which are you know basically good to go that's enough to swing the game so I almost wish that it came down to who rolled better right when it's tight like that because then I you know that's fine okay yeah you rolled better than me you won great right but now it's okay you drew better mission cards than i did playing larger games probably mitigates that more you know i didn't but at the same time for all the other reasons listed i I don't know that i want it to be any longer of a game than it already is so okay so that's what i didn't like so let me talk about what i did like now so the and, and i and i actually was able to come up with 10 10 of these to try to be fair so the, the first thing is the ship models really do look cool. You know, comparing it to a lot of the other games I have that have had the models, you know, there's, they're really, they're on par. Uh, I know there were some problems other people had with broken ones and things like that. Mine were all fine. The detail is, is plenty up to par for me for what board games should be. You know, I, I mentioned there wasn't a lot of variation in them, but, you know, again, for, for the fans and such, there's the, the detail that does matter, you're going to recognize, you're going to know the difference. Um, and so that was good for me. The the second, which is a pro, even though I, I I said it was gimmicky, is the whole clicks thing is still neat, right? You can you can spin that one either way, right? It's mechanically, it's it's bad, it's gimmicky, but fun. For the same reason I like the dials in the Fantasy Flight games, right? It's it's yeah much more fun to turn a dial than just push a, a, a chit along a track so that's still a plus uh, i'm going to go against the grain here and say another plus for me was the rules uh, some people have said the rules are not so great I, i'll admit that they're disorganized but even at the it's like a 32 page rule book i want to say it's the important part for me is that it's complete so if i'm if i'm reading through the instruction book when i'm done i come away understanding the game and knowing how to play, and I really didn't have any questions. So I know if I played a lot more, there'd be some confusing card combinations or something like that that would come up where, you know, the rules don't really render a verdict of how this particular combination is played. But in the games I did play, I don't really recall having any situations like that. So again, between between everything, I have to give the rules a, a, a thumbs up. One thing I think that's probably always a positive for Star Trek games, cloaking. Cloaking, by definition, is one of those really cool things in Star Trek, right? There are easily a couple pages that cover different cloaking things, so there's some depth to that. It, it does factor into the way that the Klingons are played, uh, or you know, at least played well. Building star bases is always cool. It's it's a little neater in other games, I think, because they do more here. They function more as just a place to go repair and, and often as a mission completion criteria. And I would say that annoying or not in terms of the tile quality, that at least they've provided enough of them. And that's probably the compromise there, right? So they, by having lower quality, they've provided more of them. There is some neat, interesting things there. Like the black hole, like you know some of the the nebula tricks and such, and 
really that is more creative than a lot of the other games that are out there. One that would come to mind is even GMT Space Empires 4. The, uh, the action system's good. That's maybe the biggest one on the list. And what that is is you can move all your ships, but then you get three actions. And you can do all of that in any order. So you can take the actions and move ships. You can move and take an action and move. And, uh, you know, the way that that plays out is different feeling than a lot of other games that I've played. So that kind of stood out as something interesting about the game. Uh, of course, that fact that I stated earlier about how well-themed it is for Star Trek fans, that has to be a pro if you're a Star Trek fan, so that's pro number eight. Nine is a little of a stretch, but I'll say that it's probably the best Star Trek, well, I won't say it's the best Star Trek game, but I'll say it's the best recent Star Trek game, which isn't saying much, but it's better than the other recent Star Trek games, the Nizia one. It's probably the best Star Trek adventure game, just because it's pretty much the only Star Trek adventure game. And overall, while I like Starfleet Battles or the Federation Commander type games better, you know, if you're looking for a Star Trek game, it it's still in the top two, right? So number 10 would be, and, and I'll throw this out to you too, but what do you think of WizKids as a company? I mean, looking at some of the hero clicks and looking at Quarriers, which has been my main experience with it, I'm kind of mixed on them a little bit. I haven't played a whole lot of their games, but I, I don't know. It's just they seem kind of iffy. Yeah. Do you well, you know what I mean? It's just they they leave like a bad taste in your mouth, kind of. Well, so I was gonna say, you know, maybe Mage Knight's the closest they've done for me. That's the home run hit, although. In my my opinions on that game are a little unfinished. I, I've I've yet to play it enough times where I have a fully formed opinion. But of their games, it's the one I think I've liked the most. I don't really right. have component quality concerns with that game to to the extent that I do this one. You know, Couriers. While you know, I commented I think last show I'm starting. You know, now that I go back to it to see that it's a, a lot more random and the fun having worn off a bit from the newness. It may not be as compelling, but sure, they're turning out expansions and things to try to keep that fresh. So if nothing else, it was a challenge to put out. Like it or not, it is sort of different and unique. Mage Knight, again, is this sort of deck builder combined with fantasy overland dungeon romp. It's kind of unique. Maybe the other Star Trek game, less so, but there's also you know some other stuff on the horizon. So you know, for me... WizKids is the company, and I was going to, you know, I listed it as a pro, but it, it might not be that I'm happy with what they've done so far, as much as I think I'm a little more respectful of it than some on, on Board Game Geek anyway, in terms of I see potential in where they can go. You know, if this Absolutely. is, yeah, if this is their first four or five games, and they're, they're really, you know, again, you may not be a fan of all of them, but the, right. There's a lot of companies out there that have just done far worse stuff out of, oh, out of five games, right? So absolutely. So you have to kind of give them props for that. You know, this is first first year kind of re-engaging the hobby market, and what can they do in the next one? So I, that's what that's what excites me is you know what is the next year going to look like from WizKids? and uh, so I have no particular problem supporting them, 
you know, even given some of the component concerns I had on this game, I, I don't really see that problem with their other ones. So it's forgivable. And in the end, you know, I've listed 10 things I didn't like about Starfleet or Star Trek fleet captains, 10 things I did. Obviously for me, the 10 that I didn't like outweigh the 10 that I did to, to the point where I, you know, I've, I've parted with the game in rating terms that makes it kind of the solid five, the, the take it or leave it. And even though, again, I talked more about the reasons I didn't like it, it's, it's not a game I hate. It's just a game that isn't quite right for me. So right. some larger Star Trek fan than me is going to want to play it at some point. They're the appropriate one to, you know, to try to get it to the table, not myself. Right. So right. it doesn't make sense for me to own it. Therefore I've parted with it. Bye-bye. Okay, what else what else have you been playing? I've been playing a lot of Hawaii. Hawaii. Hawaii, yes. <laughs> so have you played this game? Why, yes, I have. Yeah. In fact, what, an hour ago? An hour <laughs> and a half ago? <laughs> yeah, about an hour and a half ago now. This is a game from Rio Grande Games. Basically, it's a worker placement game by designer Greg Daigle. Do you know who, anything about this Greg Daigle? He is a Chicagoan or yes. from Chicago area. Yeah, so he's from our area. Yes. But it is a little strange because I read that on the back of the box. I did a little quick BGG stalking of his profile and I noticed that he really hasn't posted. He's been a member since 2004, which is approaching a decade anyway. And he really never posted a single thing until this game came out. And then, you know, he's maybe responded to a, a dozen questions or so. Mm-hmm. Getting it published by Rio Grande is no small feat for an unknown person, right? Oh, exactly, yeah. I found that kind of interesting, right? This, this person, you know, nobody really would have ever seen on Board Game Geek. Nobody locally has probably played with him. I think he, you know, more plays with his family, maybe friend, a couple friends or something, closed mm-hmm. circles. And yet, turns out a game that's, you know, got some uh, appeal to it. It uh, plays two through five, 60 to 90 minutes is what the box says, and seems about right, I guess. I was kind of thinking that might be low for the full complement of five players. For a quick summary of the game, what you basically do is on your turn, you move your chieftain. So it's a worker placement game, but you really just have one worker. That's kind of what makes it maybe a little unique, because what you do is you actually have, we'll call them movement points, where you pay these little feet. And the feet are exactly like the feet in Pantheon, which is another Rio Grande game. Each foot is basically a movement point. So there's these tiles that get laid out in a, a couple of rows at the beginning of the game, and that's kind of random, one game to the next. But then they're in a fixed position, and each tile that you move to costs a, a foot. And the other currency in the game is shells, so then the different tiles that you'll buy cost from two to six, and those are drawn from a bag and kind of arranged randomly again. There's some different mechanics to that. The shells, you can buy those tiles, or you can spend double that shell cost, and uh, you can basically flip it over, and the backside's twice as strong, or you can get two of these certain other tiles. And then basically the the rest of it is similar a little bit to Vikings. You've got this L-shaped board that's in front of you, and you place these tiles that you acquire on the board in different rows. You can go long, you can go deep, or often both. Uh, In addition to that, 
there's a beach that you can go to and uh, there's boats that you acquire in the game and you use those boats with extra feet to get bonus tiles and victory points. There's nine victory points on the furthest one, but you have to basically spend six feet to get there. So it doesn't cost any shells, but you might get this better bonus. And oftentimes that plays into another different strategy in the game. Outside of that, basically there's five turns to the game. There's a, a little tile that you'll flip over that tells you that you need to spend a certain amount of money to qualify for bonus points at the end of each round. So if you spend that amount, let's say it's 15, if you spend 15, now you qualify to be evaluated for the bonus points. So at that point, if I've spent at least 15, but I've spent more than anyone else, I'll get the most bonus points. If I've second most, I get the second most bonus points. If I'm below that 15, I don't get any points. And then there's actually one of the tiles lets you deduct the total that you need is to make it a little bit more doable in the later rounds. So that's interesting. And the last sort of thing that's maybe different about the game is on those rows that you play, and there's there's five of them total, there's columns that go across, and you only score the tiles that you play in a, in a row if it reaches the column where you have this little marker called a tiki. So you can place more tikis, and it sort of reduces the, the length those rows have to be in order to score. At the same time, you get these other tiles called kahunas, which go down the rows, and basically give you victory points as long as the row reaches the tiki. You know, that kind of had a unique feel to me. I do have some pros and cons to the game. Since we just got through playing it, let me ask you, Rob, what did you think of the game? Uh, it's uh, an interesting game. Let me first touch on the components of it, <laughs> since I love the components. Okay, now do you uh, own the physical game? Yes, or? I do. Oh, okay, yes, good. So we both own the physical one, yes. uh, but we actually just played it online. And... The the box is heavy. It yes. is very heavy. There's a lot of boards in there, and a lot of components. It, it's gonna take like if you're gonna get this game, it's gonna take a long time to punch everything out. And I, I went through uh, a playthrough, you know, just by myself, maybe like a week or two ago, and it probably took me 45 minutes to punch everything out and to set it up for the first time. And there's a considerable amount of, you know, individual pieces. I think there's, what, about 120-some little tiles that go on top of the boards. Yeah, there's and, a lot of components. Yeah, which I was, I was thinking about how to sort it all without having to put it in little baggies, but I wound up putting it in little baggies anyway. Yeah, I used Plano boxes, specially yeah. sized ones. Being the Plano collector, I had perfect ones that fit the different stacks so I can just stack them at the end of the game and I just pull out the stacks, place them on the board. Mm -hmm. That's the way to do it. Yeah, there's there's a lot of components to it. You know, everything's pretty good quality. Uh, One thing that kind of surprised me a little bit, and this is just a nitpicky thing, is that when you assemble the frame, so the main board essentially has what about five or six outside pieces that you kind of puzzle assemble together mm-hmm. right exactly you randomly distribute these 10 tiles which the actual smaller tiles go on top of i was really surprised that the the frame let's call it the outside frame was very loose i would have thought that it would have been like a tighter fit you know, of all those little... Uh, of yeah, those, and, I, uh, and I wonder why they did that, because it seems like it was intentional, because it's not off 
just a little where you're like, oh, somebody just screwed up measuring right. on this. It's off by enough that they, they kind of almost like float in there. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you probably push, like, let's say if it's three rectangle tiles wide, you probably have it, you know, maybe like a third, not quite half a centimeter of space to the, you know, of floating area. Yeah, I noticed that as well, and I was kind of thinking, you know, even back with Settlers of Catan, you had this sort of perfect fitting exactly. board. Why weren't they able to do that here? Okay, different companies, sure, but, you know, it's, it's not like it's hard technology to, to measure the border. Right, and I mean, it's not a big deal. No, no. I mean, we're talking about the most minor of pet peeves, right? It's ab- just, absolutely. It's just this thing yeah. you notice and go like, why did they do that? Yeah, I'm kind of wondering if it was uh, a production run issue and maybe if there's another printing, if it's going to be corrected or if that's just the way that, that they decided it for some reason. You know, who knows? Well, you know, but think about the other possibility that they, they had it perfectly sized, but then for some reason due to moisture, the tiles are a little larger than they should have been and now they don't fit. And people just go crazy, and now they have to send out replacements. And, but even there, you you know, it seemed like you wouldn't have needed as much give as they made to to still do that. So exactly. Or if uh, here, here's another competing theory. So an American designed it, so maybe it went over in the you know yeah yeah uh, in inches English and, and then, yeah inches, and it got converted. And they're like. <laughs> Uh, what is it? Yeah, metric. let's let's just round down, right? And then there yeah, you go. yeah, that's probably exactly what it was. <laughs> That'd be funny, but uh, this is why Euro games should be designed in Europe, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> no metric system conversion Ameri- issues. So Euro games in Europe and Ameritrash in America. Right, everybody will be happy. I mean, other than that. Uh, the, the game's interesting. It's got some interesting mechanics to it. I haven't played it enough to, you know, really formulate a strategy. I'm still kind of like experiencing the game. Right. That's usually how I go about it. Like the first couple of plays, I'm just kind of like experiencing all the different things that you can do, and you know, doing a little bit of experimenting with, you know, well, what, how does exactly does this work before I can formulate a, you know, nice strategy, which. You know, explains why uh, you beat me pretty solidly <laughs> in the game. I apologize. <laughs> but yeah, I've played it seven or eight times now. I kind of lose count around that number, yeah. but both online and the physical copy. And I've actually got the physical copy played with some different player accounts, too. I played it uh, two-player with my wife. I played a three-player game just the other day. It's been tough for me to come up with things that I didn't like about the game, so I've only really got three things I didn't like and well, and I'm and I'm not including that border as as one of them. The first thing is for the physical version, and and this really yeah I'm really reminded of it when I do play it online. Is the setup time is a long time for a yeah, for a is. Euro game, and you know even with the Plano boxes, it's there's just a lot of stuff to lay out, and uh, you know as you said there's a lot of components to it. So, and if you don't if you don't have them pre-sorted, I mean, it'll take right. you half an hour to put it right. together. Now, and, and I've played enough where I kind of know where everything goes and I know what the steps are. So, you know, it really isn't that bad. But, like, uh, drawing the, the little numbered circles out of the bag is still the part that's just long because you actually go through everything twice. You draw the, t- right. the numbers first and put them on these empty squares. And then you, you kind of have to do this quick math when you go around the second time and you draw one. And if the total is 
higher than this other number, then it gets flipped over and it becomes a fish. And if it's not, then it covers that up. And so the whole process of that definitely is involved to the point where the rules actually spend three pages talking about setup time, to be clear, right? Right. Uh, Pictures included, so it's maybe not that bad. But, you know, compared to the average game, there's, there's definitely more steps involved. Yeah. Or the average euro, you know, middleweight euro. So that's something of concern possibly to some people. For me, not as big of an issue once, you know, it's a game you're going to want to put a system to, like you said, whether it's baggies or planos, you'll want to sort it some logical way. If you dump everything into the box, (laughs) you'll never play it again. The other thing that I wasn't as fond of is there are, there's definitely the potential to get a couple key rules wrong, particularly the tiki scoring. There is an example in there, but I, I, it just feels to me like the type of game that there's going to be people that just play it wrong. Entire gaming groups that play 10 games and never realize they've scored it wrong or, you know, that it's not reaching the, the you know, the point where the tiki start, but it actually being in the column of them. There's also some finicky rules around the god tiles where not only can you not own the same god tile twice, but you actually can't place two of them in the same row, even if they're different. That's in the rules, but it's not highlighted enough you know there might almost needed to have been a summary card that had some of these often forgotten rules or some of the scoring tips or or that type of thing so again that's not really a problem for me but i see that as a potential concern for for some there it isn't the simplest of games not that it's heavy complicated or anything like that but it's definitely in that middleweight category because of some of these a little bit trickier rules. You know, again, if I think if you go back and reread the rules, even after you've played once or twice, you'll probably pick up all that stuff and things will be good. But I don't know how many people do that. It's something right. I always do. And then the the sort of last thing, you know, really stretching here for things I, I didn't like is the theme is as pasted on as it gets, right? But that said, the art is kind of well done, I think, and it adds oh, yeah. the, to the immersiveness of the theme more so than, in particular, Vikings comes to mind because that's a game this gets compared to. So if Vikings is a pasted-on theme, then this is actually a pretty good theme by comparison. Those are the three things that I could come up with. Really, everything else I have to say about the game is quite positive. So ten things I have good to say. First one, there is a that perfect amount of things that you want to do in the game but can't but at the same time it's not needlessly frustrating so you know there's all these different actions uh, or you know tiles that do different things and you really feel like you want to go get all of them but of course you can't afford them all even where you're at tactically or uh, spatially on the board you feel like you want to go to different places but you can't do that you can't go back to the beach and go to an island at the same time that you get more fruit at the same time that you take this thing to deny another player because you know that they really need that kahuna or that tiki or something like that and it's too cheap perhaps even though you don't need any more there's just a lot of things to choose from so second then is the sort of tough choice between building your engine and scoring points. Do I do something that scores me points now, or do, do I do something that isn't going to score me as many points but builds towards the engine later on? Uh, there's this constant need to to be able to score the points off that tile that's flipped up each turn by spending a certain amount of money, but in order to achieve that, you might not get to buy everything that you want. And same token when you're buying tiles, if you want to flip them over and get the double strength one, it doesn't count for the double cost 
towards that tile to that that bonus points at the bottom. It only counts for the amount of the value of the token you took. Third is there's this fruit mechanic, the wild fruit mechanic. Did you uh, what did you think of that, Rob? Really was a lot different than what I expected going into the you know into the game. It it helps you out to some degree, but not as much as I thought it would. Because right, well, so I there... wound up just spending one fruit for things. <laughs> yeah, well, without the bonus tile, then you had gotten the the right one. But they're not just wilds to where you can normally spend just one. You have to do the action with all shells or all feet or all fruit. So you can't just swap out one. But if you get a certain tile in the game and and add that to your island to a village in the island then you can and so that's i think a neat thing because that's it's something you really want to be able to do but it costs you to do that right and it costs you again other development other choices so i thought that was a neat mechanic that was added this sort of different way of doing wilds yeah it's definitely a new twist on it yeah and then the fourth thing that spending double is really good tension i i I like the way that it works in this game that you you know you're really tempted to always flip and and pay double but you know weighing that against the total money spent that's just a neat a neat choice point number five there's really and this is a real this is a huge achievement i think there's no wasted or worthless buildings so many games like this where I feel four or five of them are really the go-to buildings. These are the ones that you want. This other stuff's kind of just there. You know, nobody's really going to use it. Or maybe maybe there's one or two, and you go, well, that they just kind of throw these in to fill out the space. Did something go wrong in playtesting, or they didn't playtest enough? That doesn't feel at all like the case here. Playing seven or eight times, I, I don't even feel like I've played it that much because of all the different things that go that go on. Right. But but even in those amount of times, I've easily used different strategies that incorporated all of those buildings to just as valuable of a level. There's one building that just wastes space, and even that has value because of the way that the, the tiki's and everything play together. And and even then, you can pay double and flip it over, and you actually get five victory points in addition to it, sort of wasting space. The fishing is something that might be the equivalent in an economic game of like taking a loan where it would be good if you went the whole game and didn't do this. Fishing is basically this thing you can do to grab a couple more money to add to the money that you did spend to to get you over that minimum. So if you have to go fishing, it, it probably means you're not you didn't build your engine as good as you could have. But I, I actually the I think the first game I ever went fishing in was this one we just played. Right. <laughs> and I won, so I think I might have gone fishing one other time. So anyway, I like I liked how you said that. And I won. I, I did. <laughs> Rub it in, why don't you? So I like that. No wasted buildings. The next thing, the variable island layout, it works particularly well here. In some games, the variance, maybe something's random, but you almost feel like it's random just to be random. So here, though, I have seen games where, depending on especially what those first two are versus the furthest ones, that could really change the direction that you go in the game. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a neat thing. Another pro for me is the, the variable cost and availability. So, you know, the, the the whole thing I sort of complained on is the negative in terms of drawing those numbers out of the bag. Well, that, I think, is a way of rewarding planning ahead and doing more strategic play. So trying to spin that into a negative, you could look at it like, well, 
you have to kind of play for what things are this turn because of the values that are in front of you. But I don't think that's true because even if you go and get these Tiki's or Kahuna's the first turn because they're cheap, they're still just as valuable because it's points aren't really evaluated till the end of the game. So you could just have those and sit on them for the rest of the game. Great. Might not be as good as building more of the economic engine turn one, but if those are more costly or, you know, maybe somebody else grabbed the only one there was, it's kind of neat that that can factor into the long-term planning if done right. The end game scoring, which is a, another pro for me, I like. It definitely has a bit of that Vikings feel to it, but totally sits as its own sort of scoring mechanic where I have this decision, right? Do I want to really load up one row and just go all the way across and try to buy a bunch of different things, buy the the hula dancer, which which then gives me two points for every tile. I don't really have to worry about tiki's, you know, or kahunas for that. Or if I'm doing that, then I, I try to get more of these tiki's to make it where the rows don't have to be as long, get these kahunas. So as I have my five rows, I score, yeah, it's like 45 points, or I think it is if you had all five kahunas and all the rows so some significant points can be scored that way and another neat thing they do is they actually give you a reward so as you buy more of these tiki's and kahunas you start to get one two and then three bonus feet or shells so an investment there kind of pays you back some have complained about my next point but for me I really find lots of multiple strategies in this game. I, I've seen it argued there's only really two, but there's a lot that I've seen. The paths to victory, I haven't pulled all of them off yet. The heavy fruit strategy is a, a tougher one. You know, there's a heavy spears strategy. There's this tile that basically gives you one or two points every time you take a red numbered tile. So some of the tiles are just regular and some of them have this sort of little combat thing on them. And there's a tile that gives you a bonus for taking those. There's a the heavy boat strategy where you focus more on getting all these island tiles. This is actually the one I played in, in the game against you, Rob, right? Where I scored 20 points off of the, the god yes. tile that gives you the, the bonuses there. And that, that made a pretty big difference. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the Tiki and Kahuna strategy where, you know, you're basically trying to get those 45-some points. There's there's just a lot of ways to go about it. And, you know, balancing that out then with the Hula Girls that give you the, the points or surfers that reduce the, the spending requirements and then the bonus points you get that way. You know, there's a, a lot of different things that you can do in terms of strategies in the game. That's something I really enjoyed. The last point is really the fact that it plays too great. It plays three good. I have some reservation with the higher numbers just because then the game gets a little bit longer and there's more of a chaos factor. So those are the 10 pros. So you can kind of see where I'm going, right, Rob, with whether I like this game or not? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'll also throw out, you talked about how many components were in the game, right? Yeah. And so naturally I would be thinking, well, it's probably a $40 game, right? Or something like that, discounted. No, I spent twenty three ninety seven for this game. Yep. Brand new online. So 24 bucks, you know, 25, 26, whatever it is you pay, you know, especially online, that's pretty cheap. I really like this game. Excellent. So you're going to go to Hawaii somewhat regularly then? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least the game. Yeah. At $24, it's a heck of a lot more affordable than going to the real place. Oh, absolutely. It's a lot quicker, too. Yes. Well, maybe not to set up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, what else have you been playing? So the other the other title that I've played quite a bit of is Castelli. Do you, have you heard of this one? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Queen Games. 
It's uh, basically it's a game about Italy in the Middle Ages where you're building castles at attractive locations. It's a it's a pretty light game by Queen Games. You know, that's kind of been what they've been doing lately. But usually what they'll do is add in some expansions right there in the box. So you have that family version, but yet you can add the expansions in to make it more attractive. In this game, you're basically working to gather influence for the best locations while at the same time gathering resources with which to build the castles on those locations. There's only certain locations without the right card that you can build on, which are these mountains areas. It, it's for two to four players. It takes about 45 minutes, maybe less, especially with two. It's actually half that. So it really is a quick game. Component-wise, what you have is an 8 by 8 grid, and that consists of spaces where you can get wood, grain, or rocks. Those are the three materials in the game. There's also market spaces on that 8 by 8 grid that corresponds to cards that you can draw. Uh, each of those areas has one or two of the woods, grains, rocks, or markets. Uh, every other square then, and when I say every other square, I mean one square will be a, a wood, and then the next square will be the every other square I'm talking about. Those are blank, and where you place the tiles that are drawn from the bag. So it's really a checkerboard kind of thing, right? And so the, the every other tile sort of thing is, is empty, and you place a tile from the bag. Otherwise, there's three tracks where you track the resources for each player. Also printed on the board, some of the spots that are existing will have cities and villages displayed there, and you'll place a wooden version on, on that to make it even more visible. Those are really the scoring mechanisms in the game. So what you're, what you're basically doing then is as you build these castles, the row that they're in and the column that they're in, you'll score two points for every city, and one point for every village that's in those rows and, and columns. If you look at the board, you'll see that there are certain positions where you would therefore score only three points, and there's others where you might score seven or eight. So that's why you're sort of competing over the better locations. The only other thing in the game is really there's a silver mine where the silver cubes go. That's sort of a, a wild resource uh, in addition to those other three. There's the cards I also talked about that the markets give you that let, you don't really start with any, you don't get any any other way than when one of these market spaces is resolved. So on your turn, it's really simple. Basically, you pick one of these tiles. All the tiles are placed from the bag on those every other spaces at the beginning of the game. So you're picking one of them. You have no idea what it is. You're, you're flipping it over. You'll possibly get a card draw, possibly a silver, possibly two silver. And then otherwise, each side of the tile has one of the different four player colors and a, a value. And what you do is you basically rotate that tile then to place influence on one of those areas. When all areas bordering that region have a tile flipped, you evaluate it and whoever has the most, the highest value basically gets those resources. So you might then earn the two wood or, or so forth. Most of the areas are divided into two quadrants. So they're basically like two triangles. So one triangle might be wood and the other triangle might be the, the stone. After you rotate the tile, you evaluate it if you've finished it, and you might gain resources, but somebody else might gain resources from the other side of it, that type of thing. And then if you can, you build a, a castle and score the castle immediately. So you don't wait till the end of the game. You score it immediately based upon the two points, again, for the cities, one point for the village. Other than that, if you have a card, you can optionally play one at any point during your turn. If you want to, you can also sell as many cards as you want for two silver each. Two silver buys one resource that you don't have. So to build a castle, it takes one of each resource. So one wood, one grain, one of the stone. And if you don't have one of those, then you can turn into silver 
ones. There's no restriction on how many castles you can build, so if you have enough, you can build a bunch of them as long as you have influence over the space on the board where you want to play the castle. That's about all there is to it. The expansions that they've included are not the greatest. The first one's called the Dilemma Module, and you know I played the first couple games, well, really it was the first two games without any of the expansions, because I figured it would be similar to Fresco, right, where, okay, it's a good way to teach the game, a good way to learn the basics of the game, and then you would never really play it again without the expansions, right? I would never go back and play Fresco without the expansions, or you know, at least the first couple that were in the original box. Uh, but in this case, I was really encouraged about what the expansions were going to add to this one. So the Dilemma module, what it does is it adds a tile that you get. It has fours printed on all sides. So the the thought here was, as you flip over a tile, it, you know, it takes out the randomness because you flip over a tile and it's all ones. And usually the ones give you a card draw or, or silver or something extra anyway. But maybe this was a place where you really needed to win and have influence. And so you go, ah, you know, look, my bad luck, right? Well, now with the Dilemma module, you have this special four tile that you can swap out with that one. So you, you've you mitigated that luck now. And then similarly, okay, now you're stuck with this one tile. But somewhere you're going to get a five. And you don't really need the five. You were going to win anyway or it's it's a you know, it's going to influence something you don't really care about right now. So you go ahead and swap the one with that one. Now you've got this great five tile that you can play again next time. So that sounds like a nice addition, right? Oh, yeah. The problem is, in all the games I've played, no one's ever used it. And there's a reason why no one's used it, and that's because it's worth five points if you don't. So when you're down to an individual decision, you're, you know, well, is, am I going to get five points worth of value out of this? Or is it better just to keep this tile unplayed and get my five points at the end of the game like everyone else right now is doing? <laughs> so that's the first expansion. The second expansion is what they call a tournament module. All this does is turn the board into two separate boards. So Got now it. you play two simultaneous games if you had four players. So what's better than playing a four-player game? Is, is it better if you can divide it in half and completely ignore two of the players? That sounds right. No. <laughs> Right. I, I, why would you even do that? Why would you design a module like that? So, yeah, I, I mean, OK, maybe and I haven't gotten to that, too, but maybe the game's a little weird with four players because you're you no matter what you do, you're kind of helping someone where what happens with two or three players is the extra side. While it can still win, you're not kind of worried about what you're giving them. So you rotate the tile in such a way that you're doing the best for you while doing the worst for your opponent in a two player game or in a three player you know, maybe you're trying to help out less the one who appears to be leading and that type of thing. In four-player, it gets really tough. So I think that's where this came from. Okay, let's just play two two-player games. That's not fixing the game, right? That's just weird. Uh, another thing they suggest that you can do with it is, you know, maybe with two players, you could play two games simultaneous and then do a two out of three thing. But again, seems really odd to me. And then the last expansion is what they call the battle module. Now, that's the best expansion of the three, but still not real great to me. It adds eight battle cards, which adds some more exceptions, which is basically what all those market cards do. But the main point of the game is that you can overbuild other castles. But it really doesn't come up as much as you would think because the first player to play still gets to keep the points that they had earned. And in order to overbuild, it costs you double the resources and... You know, yeah, sure, there's some more points involved, but you had to have had majority, and oftentimes you kind of have majority anyway where you're playing. And so 
it it adds something, but is it this game changing added depth? Not really. You can see where I'm going then with my opinion on the game, right? Yeah. There's there's these three expansions, but they don't achieve what other Queen games have done with their expansions, right? The the fresco ones, and by itself, the base game is not to the level that Kingdom Builder is, right? Where where there is strategy to be seen to some level, right? Yeah. So then, therefore, the five things I sort of didn't like about the game, you know, the first ones, not too bad, but you have this thing, you know, comparing it to, to Hawaii, for instance, there's the 8x8 grid is made up of four boards that are 4x4. Four four. So you can rotate those boards kind of along the lines of Kingdom Builder, right? But the way that Kingdom Builder really rotating them changes up the game a lot, right? I mean, the layout, the landscapes are different. There's uh, ones that you end up not using because you have eight in the basic game. You could see where expansions add more, right? All of that. Well, the, yeah. four, the four here are, are so similar that it really, it, it's almost like why even bother? They should have just had a board that you fold out and the board is just what the board is. So the only reason it matters is because the cities are pre-printed on the board and and the villages, and so it, I think, again, it would almost have been better if there was some other way that those were placed, and that's how you changed up the game a bit. Maybe not so much the orientation of the board, but it, it just, it's, it's, it adds something, but a minor value, and really what you have to do then is put all these borders. So we were talking about, again, the borders in Hawaii and how the tiles kind of shift a little bit inside. Well, here, oddly enough, the the four boards fit snug with the border, but the individual border tiles don't fit snug with one another. They kind of float around within, you know, they don't snap in nice like a puzzle piece like the Hawaii ones. That actually turned up more annoying because there'd be times when that would get bumped and the border would get all broken apart and such. The components were okay for me. The rules themselves probably as poorly translated as I've seen not that they weren't understandable, because at the end of the day, it's a pretty simple game, but the intro particularly was some of the worst grammar I've seen in a translation. I, I kind of get the feel like they did it one time and forgot to go back and proofread that. But the other reason I listed is it is my favorite misspelling ever of any game out of the thousand plus I've played or read rules for. And do you want to know what they misspelled? Their name. Name of the game. <laughs> that would have been that would have that would have been good, but no, they misspelled grain. And not only did they misspell grain, but they misspelled it in a sentence that said when your grain will be evaluated. And they misspelled it with an O, so it's your groin will be evaluated. Nice. Yeah. So I figure maybe this is the kind of game you play with that rules lawyer, right? Or you know, particularly if she's female. Well, if you're gonna argue the rules, it says <laughs> Is that how you really score then? Whoa. <laughs> Whoa, who said that? <laughs> That's right. That's the real way you score in this game because, I mean, there's no fun in, in the way that it's laid out in the rules otherwise. Point three, the the basic game is just lacking and dull. This is why I was excited after the first play because the, I, 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 I thought that the expansions were going to then add to that. And so you go, oh, okay, I can see it's kind of neat. You know, you wrote, it, it reminds me a little bit of, of uh, Samurai, which is a game I, I really like, and uh, maybe uh, Conquest of the Fallen Lands is what it is. Just any of those games where you're kind of, you know, you've got these number tiles that you're battling over or, or placing for influence where you're counting up and such. It's that sort of thing. Only here you're rotating it, you know, and it's it's tile laying. 
the the fourth thing then you would go okay well there's cards in the game do they add value mm, not really they're not really that interesting i mean a lot of the cards just do things like okay well now you can build on a uh, wood space that you couldn't otherwise build on great at least one of the cards the one called the robber baron is way overpowered so you can actually steal half the silver in the mine. That's 11 silver. There's 22 silver in the game. So that's a lot of silver uh, to just get by playing one card. But probably the worst offense of the game is the last one. And that's the fact that in order to do well in the game, you really have to overanalyze the board. You have to calculate the value of really every space and optimize the way that you're doing everything. And it's just not worth it for this depth of game. And you kind of lose everything in all the tiles. It becomes even more random if you don't do that, but it's not. you don't feel like you want to do that. And so everyone I've played this with has come, around, come away from it hating the game, absolutely hating the game. Really? Yeah. And that's why... So if we talk about pros, the pro for me really is that it reminded, reminded me, even just when I first looked at it, of, of Samurai and that kind of game. And I, I guess for that reason, I gave this game way, 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 way more chances than I should have. Uh, it probably is a game I should have just played once and, and pitched immediately. I, I've probably played this game more than anyone else on Board Game Geek. I think that the, the record was six, you know, in terms of recorded plays. I'm also a sucker for castle building games and tile laying games. I like, I mean, I like oh, the yeah. castle theme. I, I like tile games. So, you know, put all of that together, there was like three reasons I really wanted to like the game. But, <laughs> you know, there there was just no having that. And uh, and everyone I played it with reminded me of that, including my wife, who also didn't like it. And she's really a, a tile-laying game nut. So. so, yeah, I think there's just better choices. I mean, for Queen Games, I'd go with Fresco. That's still my number one pick. Okay. How about you, Rob? <laughs> what all have you been up to? Well, um you know, we kind of touched on it briefly earlier. I got some Hawaii in and, you know, we talked about the components. The game is, I'd say, you know, a, a pretty solid game and I'm actually really looking forward to playing it again. Uh, I like the mechanics of it, uh, at least initially here. And uh, I'll see, you know, exactly how it uh, turns out after a couple more plays. I also managed to get a, a game two of Dragonheart in, which is uh, a good old standby game. I really liked that it. it was one of the first games that my wife and I started playing. Yeah, now, how, now, did you win when. those games? Uh, why, yes, I did. No, I didn't. No. <laughs> it, it hasn't been a good evening. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, Jeff and I played, and of course, he's gloating here that he won. I, I Okay, you beat me three times tonight. Yeah, that is that is the case. Yes. Okay. But that's and we mentioned it on a previous episode. But I, I really do think Dragonheart is is one of those games where there are swings of randomness, and I've I've definitely had the play. But you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to gloat too much and say that it was all my stellar <laughs> gameplay and not like, any luck. So we'll, it's we'll have strategy. To, it's yeah, we'll have to strategy. go and do a rematch, a two out of three rematch, and uh, yeah, and and see if it has a different outcome. But yeah, because Dragonheart is it's actually a, a really fun game. It's a quick game for those of you that aren't uh, familiar with it. Basically, it's a would you call it? What would you call it? It's like a, a card collection game or a card placement game. I don't know how to classify. Yeah, it exactly. it's it's tough. I'm, I mean, you're kind of wanting to play in sets, different cards, beat yeah. up cards, 
but you're not forced to. So you can kind of lay out a card and somebody else can complete the one you did. And it's kind of this little pictogram of this beats that and that beats this. And there's some optional ones. And, you know, it it almost seems complex or more complex the first play than it really turns out to be because it really is just play a card. you, You basically have to learn this card can collect these two cards and... Well, actually, to, to backtrack, you have a number of different cards available. Like, there's these dwarves, there's um, a huntress, this big golem, a couple dragons, some treasure, ships. And you can play, it's not the archer, It's there's a name for it. But it's a person oh, with a bow like and arrow. it looks like an archer, yeah. Yeah, it's a person with a bow and arrow. Like, they can collect the dragons, but you have to put down three of them. The dragons can collect treasure one at a time. So one dragon can collect all the treasure and so forth. So basically, you know, the, the card can get other cards and, and there's arrows that show. And it comes with a little board, which is uh, which is nicely drawn, good yeah. artwork on it. And another one of those little FFG dragons, which is, yeah. you know, <laughs> probably the, the... The Blue Moon City dragon. Yeah, you're like, really, again? But there's a... A particular card, if you take the dragon card, then you get an extra card in your hand, and that's represented by the dragon to remind you which player has that. Yeah, so it's a a pretty fun game. The one thing I want to mention is that occasionally you get in, as I like to call it, the wrong side of the, the cards, where basically things flip in such a way where you often wind up either with single cards so like one card of everything and you wind up just placing a card and then your opponent just takes it you place another card your <laughs> opponent takes it you place an, it's and it's really hard to reverse that sometimes yeah and and what why that happens is because each player has an identical deck of cards so even if you draw your your say uh, better cards first then eventually you're going to get to where then you just have these cards that the other player then consumes with their cards. Oh, yeah. So it, it is a bit of an optimization exercise where you're trying to make sure that you uh, hold back cards when needed but without clogging your hand up too much because if you, if you exactly. just play... So some of the larger sets, the dwarfs you need four of at a time, the ships you need three of at a time, and if you just go ahead and lay one out there, the, your opponent might complete that then, you know, especially with the smaller sets. If you, especially if you lay two dwarves out there, then you're almost assured that you're making it easier for the opponent to complete. Absolutely. And different cards have different values, so that might be okay if you lay out the two ones. But if you lay out one of the cards that is of a higher value, then you're, you're basically swaying the odds in their favor. So there's some subtleties to the game there where it's not just that one card beats another card, but there's different values in those cards. And based upon that, like you may want to hold back a card, you know, a four treasure card to when you at least have a dragon in your hand so that you can lay the treasure card one turn and then lay the dragon the next turn to take it, the card you just laid. And what you're trying to do then is look and one of two things, you're either doing a little bit of card counting going, okay, I know there's this many cards, so my opponent doesn't have a whole lot of dragons left because I've, and for as many times as I've played, I don't even know really the card counts, right? But you just get this feeling like, okay, he's played a lot of dragons, so there can't be that many left. I'm going to, I'm going to lay out a bunch of treasure and 
hope that he doesn't have one, and then right. I'll consume it with a dragon. Similarly, if you're playing, there's a bluffing aspect that kind of comes in where, especially with that dragon card, if generally when a player lays down the dragon, they'll have this huntress, is that what it's called, card that yeah, that so. takes it. You know, and, and so the, that's going to be their next play. So you knowing that, you're probably not going to lay another dragon down to just give them even more points. You'll wait, right. let them take it, then put your own one down and then take, you know, and, and things like that. But there exactly. is there is some bluffing you can do with that. So if you had different other cards or you saved a card, you really have two of one. And, and, and so you kind of trick your opponent into thinking... You know, you do or don't have a card, so then they either add more value somewhere where they shouldn't, or they wait and do something different. Um, and so there's, there's, there's other. Not that there's again no randomness in the game, but it's generally accepted that two out of three it makes it fair. Originally, this is one of the few games I started with on BSW, which is the German site. Right. And uh, that's how it was actually. It was always played that way, like two out of three. And then it came to Yukata, and I played it there. And then now it's on Board Game Arena as a real-time game. And, uh, you know, that's how we played it before the show. But I've also owned the physical copy since it was first put out by Fantasy Flight. I've sleeved it in premium sleeves, which is always a good sign for me that it's sticking around. So my wife and I have played it quite a few times and still have fun with it in all ways. So I never bring it with me anywhere anymore because as much as I try to teach people strategy, I, I always win against new players, <laughs> right? Against new players. Now, right. I, I've, I lose plenty of time online, but... Uh, against new players, I crush them. I mean, I don't just win; I crush them, and and then they don't. Of course, you don't, don't... handicap your game a little bit. To... No, I guess I should because, uh, but then they think something's wrong with it, right? But so they come away kind of not liking it because it seems like oh, random. Like I, oh, I just got all the bad cards, and you got all the. And it's like, well, no, I. It's it's a hard game to to defend. So for for anyone who thinks it's just random crap, fine. I you know. <laughs> it's one of those I, I, I won't argue. If, I, I can see why some people would think that. But again, if you go on any of these online sites and look at the people, and I'm not one of them, but look at the people that have played it 500 times, and you'll you'll see people that have won 375 times, right, out of five. I mean, I don't think it could be completely random crap, and they could win right. 75% of the time or so. So they're, but, they're very skilled at putting themselves on the right side of the card. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, maybe it just, it either takes a certain number of plays to get to where you have a better feel for that, or again, you just have to look at it a certain way. It's almost like can't, the, we've talked about can't stop, but where there's a certain kind of player that's just always going to lose that game because they don't know when to stop, right? They can't stop. Yeah, they can't stop. And Dragonheart is a sort of similar in terms of like, there's always this temptation to do certain things that you really need to hold back and not do. And if you can figure out what those are and how to take advantage when your opponent makes those mistakes, then you can almost always switch that give and take thing that you were talking about, right? Where you, you switch that cycle to where now you're cons- you know consuming all the cards and you know a lot of the ones they had were were wasted right so and and the one thing we didn't mention is there's also a timing mechanism that comes into play with the ship cards so certain cards are discarded into a pile other ones you you take into your hands for points but these ones that are discarded you win that pile once the third ship is played and when three total sets of ships have been played the game's over 
So if you're doing well, and points are generally hidden, but if you're doing well, you're going to want to end the game. So you're going to want to get all the ships out there. And if you're not doing so well, you're going to kind of want to hold back on that so that you force your opponent to put out more of those high-level chess cards or uh, dragon cards so that you can then enhance your own score. But at the same time, because this, this other pile will increase in value, at a certain point you want to take that because you might get 15, 20 points just from that one stack. But yet, if you save up the three cards that are necessary, again, your normal hand's five, so that's that doesn't give you a whole lot of cards to play with. And if you just stick out one card... Well, now even if your opponent just had two or they had one and now they draw a second one, now they're going to grab it. And so, yeah, you, you thinned your hand and you've got five better cards, but you just handed a whole bunch of points to your opponent. And that that uh, dilemma, do I play it or do I keep it? Do I, I work with the limited space left in my hand, knowing that I can, hopefully my opponent, it's, that's sort of the, the game of chicken, right? Who's going to play first, uh, you know, ditching less than a full set. And if, if that is always your opponent, you're more likely to flip that cycle into where you're always gaining the cards. That's what I love about the game. That's why that, that's why it really works for me. Oh, yeah. It's it's a great game. I mean, it's, it's one that I don't think is ever going to leave my collection. One of the better Cosmos titles. Big fan. Absolutely. Okay. And then uh, other than that, I've also played uh, a couple games of Onorim. Uh, have you ever played that one, Jeff? I, I haven't. I, I continue to see that, and I hear people talking about it, but I've have not acquired it. Um, basically, what it is, it's a little uh, Z-Man card game that's been out for some time. It's, uh, I think, a one and two player game. I've only played it solo, and the gist of the whole thing is that you're basically in some kind of dream state, and you're trying to um, avoid nightmares or something like that. And you're trying to match up all these different colored uh, doorways and trying to avoid these nightmare ghosty figures. The artwork on it is kind of strange, odd. I don't know what you would want to call it. Yeah, I remember the box cover, but that's, you know, that's probably yeah, the I mean, I've seen it. The box is kind of a weird... Yeah, um, it's that bluish, ghosty looking. It's... Uh, memorable. Yeah... I mean, it's no sort of, of like, no work of art, but still memorable. <laughs> you know, it 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 reminds me of Dixit art a little sure. bit, yeah. just not yeah. as nice, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> I guess. And so, I mean, I've had Onorim for some time now, and it's 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 an odd game. I I I play it every once in a while. I actually keep it in my work bag, you know, just as a time diversion. Sometimes I've actually played it while I've been at customer sites waiting for upgrades. Uh, and do you get odd looks for doing that, or does not? Uh, it, it's you? it's usually when I'm sitting there by myself, bored out of my mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've, I've broken it out. There's a lot of shuffling in the game. A lot of shuffling, mm. and. It's it's really odd. I, I I still play it every once in a while, but I really don't like it too much. It's I, there's people that swear up and down like, oh, it's a great game, great game. It's I just don't see it. I mean, it's okay. Time for the trade pile. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I will. I like solo play games, you know, just for this particular purpose, you know, where it's easy to carry when it's a card game like this, but mm-hmm. most other games are usually a lot bigger, a lot more components. And so it's so it's one that I probably won't trade, but I don't 
like it too much. It's it's a weird situation. Okay. And they've got some variations on it, and and you can, like I said, you can play a two player. It comes with I think what one or two. They call them expansions, as it comes with these extra cards that let you do different things. But uh, yeah, but I it, mean it's it's an okay game. Is it primarily a, a a single player game, or is it primarily a two player game that can be played solo? I, I guess you could probably consider it a single player game that can that you can play two player. Okay, so it was really designed for solo play, but then there's a way to yeah. play it with two. Okay. And so, so it's unlikely it's, if you were to play try it with two that it's really going to improve your opinion all that much. Um, it, it might. It's it's been so long since I read the rules. I really don't even remember what the two player variation is or two okay. player version is. So uh, that's Onerum, a fairly quick game. But like I said, ah, oh, so much shuffling. I really wonder if sleeping might help this, that situation a little bit because I, I like the side shuffle. Although I probably bet that if you sleeve them, they won't fit back in the little box. But, uh, yeah, that's about it for Owner Room, and that's it for the games that I've been playing. Okay. So, um, you know, other than that, I do want to mention something really odd, Jeff. And uh, have you ever ordered any promos from the BGG store? Yeah, you know, I, I guess when they first started doing promos, I think I went and bought every single one. Well, of course, back then, there, there maybe were five total. I think they, ooh, I want to say Dominion promos were the first that they had. Oh, yeah. But whatever it was, you know, the first 10 or 12, I got all of those. Really, well, back then, too, even the games I didn't have were games I knew I was going to get soon or, you know, that type mm-hmm. of thing. So in in recent times, there's been a lot more Otter games, and it seems like everybody's kind of doing the BGG store promo, and so I don't even try to get them all. I, I, there's actually strangely i picked up the kingdom builder one from cool stuff for a dollar less than bgg was selling it for so right there aren't a whole lot of them in there now that i want or that i even have the game for uh, of course i would have got the eclipse one but that sold out in a, less than a day like four minutes yeah and, and yeah they said ahead of time but i mean unless you know you're sitting at home there's a there's one out there now for alhambra which looks potentially interesting i'd probably pick it up oh yeah i just got that one yeah there's you know the the dominion ones i'm i I don't really feel like i need every dominion promo anymore so yeah Uh, ascension's another one where is it is it five bucks a promo on his website now usually yeah yeah that just seems like too much for me i mean it's wonderful idea i mean think about it you know the game itself is what twenty dollars twenty four dollars and yet i could spend the same amount for five promo cards uh, there was an interview with Aldi, I forgot what show it was on, where they basically said that they get promos from companies for payment, I believe it was, for ads and so forth. Sure. And so, got, you know, so yeah, got, they, get, they get the promos and then they sell them in the store to make money. I've got no problem with that. Yeah. And, uh, and it drives people to the site, too, and that sort of thing, but... That bothers me less than the Gary Games situation where it seems like, you know, and I lost track. There's 20-some promos, so that's 100 bucks right there for 20 cards if I wanted all of them. Maybe there's 14 out right now or whatever it is, but I'm sure there's soon to be 20. That's as much of a money grab as, you know, and if they, those were all on the Board Game Geek store, I'd probably view that a little differently. But they're right. not, right? And I, and I can't buy a set of them, at least not yet 
So, yeah, you know, that's... I actually actually have to thank him. So it sounds like I'm saying, oh, bad on Gary Games. Nope, I love Ascension. And I really thank him for doing that because it is exactly what cured me of the promo <laughs> sickness. <laughs> okay. Right? It's like, here's yeah. a game I really like that I finally decided I don't care. I don't care if I have all the promos in it. it it's... Yes, partially because I do play at least half on the iPad and half physical, and I don't have them on the iPad anyway. So that contributes a little bit to it in terms of I don't want to spend $100 for them all. But, yeah, you know, that and there were some other ones I wanted that are just super obscure. You know, even even like the ones for uh, Castle Ravenloft and games like that that were mm-hmm. at one point they were going for, you know, $50 or something. It's like I'm just to be a completist – I'm literally going to pour hundreds and hundreds of dollars into these things that I I don't even play the base game enough to where it's going to do anything more than just sit in the box. And and I actually found there was a lot of games where I was buying these promos and I ended up turning around the the base game before I ever really even used, got to a point where I would use the promo. Right. Uh, so, so I'm not as keen on them now, but that said, if it's, for a game that I've liked, I've played enough to make a firm decision on, like even Kingdom Builder, then and and the number of promos isn't ridiculous, right? There's not ten Kingdom Builder promos, then I'll go out and acquire it like I did, right? Airlines Europe was another one, which is a game I, I've really started to like quite a bit, and there was a promo on the store for that which uh, seemed like it might add some some value. So yeah, those kind I kind of like Summoner Wars comes to mind, too, where he hasn't done a ridiculous amount of promo cards. I think there might be five, and there's probably, you know, you could argue there's a ridiculous amount of of decks available now. There might be, again, 20 different decks at least, not counting the Master Set, between the regular decks and the the, uh, reinforcement ones that are coming out. And out of all of that, there's still, you know, five or six promos or something that's not too obscene. Right. and like I said, I just for me, Ascension sort of the opposite extreme. There's a point where before this third one was out, there was only two games released, and there was easily a dozen promos, right? I mean, that's oh, just, yeah. that just seems skewed, I think, in quantity. And so, so I've got one of those Ascension promos. Uh, it's the Rat King. That was that's it. Yeah. The Rat King. That's actually a pretty good set, and, and I, I think you get eleven cards. Right. That and one. see, that's I like that type of idea better, right? Where you're not just it's not just some card to be a card it's this whole other level you know that like the red king does play very differently and you know it's something you might not want to include every time but you notice it right when you shuffle it in and that comes up it's like okay yeah that's the promo versus it's just this card that if you didn't really know it was a promo card would possibly just get lost in the deck great mm-hmm. so I, right. I spent 10 bucks on this card so what no one that I got recently was the uh, Z-Man Games Essen promos one. I don't know if you saw that one. I've it's... been tempted on that one because, again, Aura at Labora being a game I really like. There's yeah. two cards in there for that, but I, I haven't really dug into what they do. Well, I bought this promo specifically because of that. Okay. Aura at Labora. But, but now you had to and, cut them out, too, and that kind of put me well, off a little bit. Well, that's the thing. That I mean, I look at it, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, cause they printed a whole... All eight cards are, I don't know, what, Euro, Euro size or whatever size they are. Right. And the Aura 
and Labora cards, they're the minis, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, they're the mini size. Yeah, and, and, you but know, the well, card is the full size, so you have to cut it out. Yeah, and they center so it you're... too, so it's like, why didn't they at least upper left it so I only have to cut two sides and I can maybe not mangle it quite as bad as cutting all four? Yeah, and I mean, for most people, now you're going to have two cards that aren't perfectly cut like the rest. Right. To me, that kind of, I don't say it defeats the whole purpose well, of getting it, them. But... You don't have to shuffle them together, though. So Yeah, but still. And, I mean, and if you sleeve your cards, which I did because they're so flimsy, you know, we talked about that in our first show, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so then you notice it a little bit less. Uh, but yeah, it was a little, it was a little tacky. I mean, you know, five bucks. That's so stupid. I mean, I, I, I can to... understand why they did it, but I mean, really? Shame on you, Z-Man. Shame on you. Well, they never should have made the cards that small in the first place. That's, you know, for the whole yeah. game. Then we talked about that. But, uh, you know, the one the one thing possibly about the promos, too, is some of them do go kind of out of print or there aren't a whole lot of them. So if you do get the promo for a popular game, you likely it retains its value. So, yeah, it was five bucks, but you could probably sell it for that, if not more, later on. Or it's a nice right. bonus if you turn the game around. So if you look at it more like an investment, most of them probably aren't terrible that way. It's just when you have a lot of games like I do or you go through a lot of games, if you start getting the promos for everything, that's where it starts to really add up. You know, If you, if you just have 30, 50 games or something and acquire just for the few that turn up that you have, yeah, I, I don't really see a problem with it. Okay. I think that's about it. Yep. So uh, take us out. All right, and that uh, concludes episode number four of uh, this board game, Life. Uh, my name is Rob. And this is Jeff. And <laughs> this is like a bad answering machine. <laughs> <laughs> this is Rob. This is Jeff. <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> yeah, we're done. <laughs> but our website is www thisboardgamelife.com check it out, subscribe to the podcasts if you haven't already and you can also find some posts up there uh, show notes and and all that good stuff Uh, you can send us an email at contact at thisboardgamelife or individually you can send it to jeff at or rob at thisboardgamelife.com and contact us that way we have voicemail you can leave us a message and hear yourself on the show and that's area code 754-444-TBGL, which is 8245. So that's 754-444-8245. And also make sure to check out our guild. One final thing, too, is uh, if you don't want to call the voicemail to leave a message, you feel free to record yourself on an MP3 and send that to us at uh, contact at thisboardgamelife.com. Yeah, and I, I also wanted to mention... The things we're specifically looking for you to send us, if you can't think of anything on your own, uh, they are specifically, we'd like to see your comments on our show. We, we'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, your opposing view on anything we've given our opinion on. So if you don't like the neutral or possibly interpreted as negative comments, but uh, I just see <laughs> as, you know. My opinion. My opinion, right? It's yeah. just mine. But if, but if you have an opposing view or what anything I said upset you or, or if uh, you think there's a correction to something I said that wasn't correct, uh, send us that view. Uh, 
definitely as a recording in this case, right? I mean, if you're going to not agree with yeah. me, record yourself as an MP3 or call the voicemail. Or if you agree with uh, anything we say. Yeah, and if you want to add to it, right? Anything, uh, yeah. Thoughts on a, a game you've recently played, your uh, brief board game-related rant. Maybe it's about promos or maybe it's about a different topic, right? Uh, also, even just a request to uh, review or comment on a specific game. You know, Send us any of those things or anything else that uh, you'd like to hear us talk about on the show. Yeah, because if you've seen a game, Jeff's probably played it. Or there's a reason why I don't want to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> elaborate on that one yeah okay all right excellent this is uh rob signing out till next time